All right, you guys, welcome back for another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. Today's guest, we've got one of my best friends for over a decade, John Potts. He and I talk about addiction, growing up, my car accident, human compassion, discipline, exercise, confidence, social media. You can find him on social media. His Instagram is at PottsBJJ. That's P-O-T-T-S-B-J-J. All right, I hope you guys enjoy today's conversation and I will see you on the other side. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Edge of Fear podcast, hosted by Liz Basil Lewison at Liz Without a Pillow. Each week, I'll be bringing you some different insights, lessons, and laughs with an end goal of a more empowered and authentically happier human race. Everybody's got a story, and everybody's story is important. Let's do this. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Edge of Fear podcast. Today, I have a very good friend of mine as my guest. Do you want to introduce yourself? My name is Jonathan Potts. Most people just know me as Potts. I'm a Brazilian jiu-jitsu martial artist, former MMA fighter, IT guy by day, and I make stupid memes on the internet. Very cool. Okay. All right. So... John and I kind of grew up together. I think you moved to our school district, what, middle school, high school? Always. Always oh, lived there. Really? Yeah, yeah. You just got it. Yeah. Why do I always forget this? <laughs> Norky moved. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So, but we didn't go to elementary school together. You didn't go to No, I went to, I went to Forsberg. Okay. So we didn't go to elementary school together. So we met in middle school, but he was a friend of my cousin and my mother's sister so my aunt thought that Potts was like a troublemaker and (laughs) and like an asshole and not somebody that she wanted her sons or her nieces and nephews to be friends with and so I had this idea in my head that John Potts was a troublemaker and a jerk and I didn't want to be friends with him. That was all your cousin Matt's fault though because anytime he would stay out late or anything it became it was my fault that he wasn't home on time or even if you guys literally weren't even hanging out. Even if it was Matt who's yeah, the problem right which it oftentimes <laughs> was but so we had like an interesting relationship from the get-go and then in high school you were on the boys lacrosse team and I was on the girls lacrosse team so we started to like see each other a lot more just kind of in that that hallway and like going out for like practices and games and stuff where we would all go hang out after ninth period until lacrosse started and I remember starting to kind of build my own judgment of you at that point thinking that you were a little bit of a troublemaker a little bit of like a class clown, but not an asshole. You were like, there was something else more there happening. That I was a troll before the word troll existed. Yes, exa- exactly. <laughs> Spot on. You were a troll before troll existed. So I think it was that first summer because you were, were you already home from college? Or it was my first summer in college that I came back and we started to get real close. Uh, when we started hanging out in Joe's backyard. Okay, so after my freshman year of college, I got back to New York, and we had never really been close before that, but I started bringing around... You and Kelly. Kelly and Jess. Yeah. And you were with Kyle and Erin. Our guy finally had girls to hang out with. Right, yeah, and and I remember, like, because Matt and I had gotten close, my cousin, my cousin Matt and I have a, uh, or had for a very long time, a very dysfunctional relationship because I felt like he would take advantage of my kindness and he would ask for money and he would ask for rides and he would ask for shit. And I loved him. And I grew up with my two cousins, one older, one younger, uh, each by a year that they were my brothers, basically. And so when 
I mean, your assessment of Matt's not wrong. It's he's he's a, he's like a what, user. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I don't like the word user that much because okay. it's also he's a he's a taker. So in that sense, <laughs> totally no, different. No, 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 it's slightly <laughs> different because you can say no to them. It's just yes. what what they do is they target people they know can't say no. Yeah. So like he would he would target people that he knew wouldn't say no to him. Like he'd get annoyed by me. Drive me to this place, and I'd be like, "No." And he'd be like, "But we're best friends, man." He'd try to guilt you. And guilt I, trip, yeah, and yeah, I, classic. I'm, I'm such an ego tripper. I, I wasn't falling for that game, you know. Right. Not to be fair, fell for it many times. Yeah. But sometimes after a few <laughs> right. times, you're like, "All right, buddy, I know this game." So for me, he had been gone for a couple of years. Like he went to Florida Air for football, and he went to Milford State Academy, upstate New York. He was at Half Hollow Hills for a little while. So he went to like four or five different schools before 2007 when I was leaving for college. And so when I got back from college and he was living home and he had this, you know, I'm using air quotes here, great group of guy friends. (laughs) Um, I was like so excited to be able to hang out with my cousin and also get to hang out with my cousin as a friend for the first time really ever, because he had always been like my cousin and we just, we had a very different relationship than just a friend. So, and he had gone to a point so many times in life where I was like, I can't fucking stand him anymore. But so when you split that with four or five, six other people, it becomes like a different relationship. So I got home from college that first summer and I started hanging out with John and a group of five or six other people. You guys finally had girls coming around and we would just, Fuck around. Hang out. Hang out by a pool. Smoke weed, do drugs. Yeah, do, do you know, 19, 20-year-old stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and it was great. We had a great time. And I feel like I am, I still have a great relationship with you. I still have, you know, through those years, I became much closer with my younger cousin, Matt's brother. And those relationships really shaped a lot of college for me. You know, we all remained close for the next three years. Yeah. We had, like, a different like Lil Wayne album each summer. <laughs> White kids in the suburbs. Right. I, told, I really connect with this man from New Orleans. I see where he's coming from. <laughs> I feel deeply yeah. everything that you're yeah, saying. Yes. <laughs> so where do you feel like our relationship started? Um, as I was saying before we started the podcast, like I wasn't completely sold on, on you. Like I, I felt you had a, what I refer to as like cult of personality. I felt like people, you were a very poppy, very like bubbly person. And there was a lot of people attracted to you and being the troll I am. I'm like, yeah, not a fan of this. Uh, people just like her. There's really not much there. So it wasn't until, <laughs> true. Uh, yeah. And then it wasn't true. Uh, like we weren't like, I don't feel like we really became friends until when Matt like started getting too deep into substance abuse. And we were like the only in the group that really wanted to do something about it. Like, and we were um, like slightly conscious yeah, of it. And because we all, you know, smoked weed and did the occasional, you know, extracurricular activity, other drug, like uh, a lot of people in our circle were afraid to confront Matt because they felt like hypocrites. Like, well, you know, we still go to school. We still go to work. Matt's not doing any of those things. He's throwing his life away. It's a little bit different. you know. Yeah. Like, and it was, it, that was really challenging because I did feel like a hypocrite. I felt exactly like a hypocrite. Who am I to tell you what you should or shouldn't do? Who am I to tell you that your drug of choice isn't as good as my drug of choice or whatever it is? But I mean, coming from uh, literally being cut from the same cloth, literally our mothers, our sisters, and knowing that I have a history of addiction in my family and being aware of my own addictive tendencies with 
weed and with alcohol and with abusive relationships and whatever else that to to be aware of when I'm going down an addictive rabbit hole a spiraling and being able to like be like okay well I'm not going to smoke weed for a week then and I'll smoke that weekend and then I'm not going to smoke weed for two weeks and then I'll smoke that weekend and then I'm not going to smoke for a month and I'll smoke for one weekend and so that was how I always like curbed my marijuana use but Matthew couldn't stop for anything yeah and we were watching like fights happen and we were watching yeah. the drug use go he from was literally breaking up our friend circle. Yeah. We were watching it go from really menial arguments <clears throat> to exactly what you're saying, literally breaking up our friend circle. And I mean, I think to be fair, there was so much other shit happening in our lives like college was ending and you guys were starting to go into like the workforce and things like that I mean just being a year older and so I think that we were I think that the tent phase was phasing out anyway and it was the the intervention attempt was kind of like our grasping for straws to keep the friendship alive because there were so many other dramas happening and we just wanted to stay young and stay in that tent and stay in that see, moment see, of our see, life. This, this is funny, like so how people see things differently. Totally differently. Because, yeah, I want to hear your perspective on this. I felt the opposite. I wasn't trying to stay young. Like I was trying to be an adult. You were, and it was and, like, visible. I, I always tell people I felt older at twenty two than I do now at thirty one. Like, I felt like this old person, like, I thought I was, you know, trapped in, yeah, in a young was, person's I gonna, body. I was going to yeah. marry the girl I was with at the time. Yeah. You know, like, that's kind of stuff. I, I thought I had to be this much older person than I was. I, like, complained about back pain when I was 22. And now I, and then at 25 years old, I started martial arts. And, right. And now I don't, you know, I mean, I still complain about back pain. But <laughs> I, I do physical activities. I don't use it as an excuse to limit me. So, like, right. I, I feel like at that time in my life, I thought I was so much older than I was. But I think that that's also very normal for 22-year-olds to see themselves as having it together. And, like, this is the track that I'm on. And... So many of us just get lost on that. And like, I'm very grateful for you and for your friends that you found martial arts and that you found the internet and you found like, I mean, you, you, you rediscovered things that you had never really stopped being interested in, but you discovered them in a bigger way. And it just enhanced your transactions in the world. It enhanced the life that you were able to live from that. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I definitely, I felt, let's see, the year that we tried to have the intervention was... Uh, it was the summer after I graduated college. Was so. it the summer? I thought it was over the winter, though. Was it? I don't know. I felt like it was 2000. It was might have been the fall, because I, st- yeah, I started my the job. Fall, yeah. I started my job in October, so it was like 20... When I graduated college, 2010. Okay. So, so are you ready for this? <clears throat> so in 2010... Ho, ho, ho. In 2010, I totaled my car. I was at a semi-formal event, a cotillion at my college, and I drank really heavily early in the night, like for the pregame. And we jumped on a bus and I really was pretty blacked out. Like I don't really remember most of the evening, but I stopped drinking before I got there because I wasn't 21 and I was so drunk. So I stopped drinking, say like 8 p.m., literally, And we get there at like 9 p.m. And I don't drink the whole time I'm there. I'm drinking water. I'm, you know, eating food. 
I think probably somebody had flasks. I think probably yeah. lots of people had flasks and I probably had another like sip or two, but I was a mess. People really weren't giving me alcohol. So I got back to the dorms. I lived off campus, but I got back to the dorms at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. And I jumped over to um, a friend of mine's room who I'd been seeing, but not sleeping with for like two or three months already at that point. And we like hung out. I went to sleep is what I remember. Uh, And at four in the morning, an RA came and knocked on the door and was like, is there a girl in here? Because it was a Catholic college and you weren't allowed to make sleep. Obviously, it was it was very sneaky. Yeah, in a Catholic college. And they kicked me out. And instead of walking across campus to any of my friends apartments, I got in my car and I drove not even to my house. But I drove to my best friends, John and Mike's, you know, John and Mike, I drove to their place, which I had driven a million times before in the dead of night a million times before. And there was a big curve across the street from the uh, the the Arnold Palmer, because he's from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, where I went to college. The Arnold Palmer golf course is there and there's a curve, a wind, a winding bend and a huge hill on the right. And they live just beyond the curve, just beyond the, the curve and the and the hill, yeah. about 50 meters past it. And I took the curve that I had driven a million times before, and literally a deer was in the road. I saw it. It ran off. I slammed on the brakes. It was already gone. I slammed on the brakes. I drove up the hill, and then the force of gravity rolled me down the hill. So the car flipped over once, twice, three times in slow motion, I can remember it to this day, the CDs and my cell phone. My cell phone was a, one of those slides. So kind, kind of like a sidekick, but it was like yeah, a, yeah, it was it, like a, it was a Verizon sidekick. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember like the phone falling apart. I remember CDs flying. I remember seeing my windshield crack, watching my side view mirror come off the car and I land on the roof of my car. And, and we I'm, just confused anybody under 30. They're like, what are CDs? And yeah. what, are, what, are, what are Verizon sidekick <laughs> What is a sidekick <laughs> phone? What are you talking yeah. about? You remember um, motion. But so we, I, we, I always say we. It's always just me. It's me and the voices in my head. Well, you're like a really good manager. That's manager right, speed. Exactly. Yeah, guys, we really got to clean up this room. We are just <laughs> not doing enough here. <laughs> I'm talking to you, but it's we, we together. Yeah, we're a team. <laughs> um... So I land on the roof of my car. I am in like this swanky strapless gold dress and heels. At this point, I was 20 years old and I had never worn a seatbelt really ever. And I happened to be wearing my seatbelt that day. And so I get out of the car. I try to push the car over because obviously I'm strong you're, enough. You're I obviously I'm the strongest woman on planet Earth. Gonna, I'm obviously strong enough. You, know, to, you should have imagined you, your baby was underneath there. I hear that works. So. Uh, the dingo ate my baby. <laughs> <laughs> Actually. So you try to flip it over. So I try to push the car over, and I then realize that I in fact can't push the car over, and I realize that my cell phone has literally broken in half. So it's a slide. So it pushes up and it's like hanging on by a thread. So with my dying phone call that my phone is able to make, I call Mike, who's 50 meters ahead, but it's 4.45 in the morning now. And I'm like, hey, 
did you just hear an accident outside your window? And he's like, what? what's going on? I was like, I'm outside. I'm not going to make it to your house. And he was like, what? I'm coming. I was like, I don't know what to do. So he runs out. My phone dies. You literally. were that calm, though? I actually was. I actually was. Yeah. I, like the sh- I was in shock. Gotcha. Um, I'll have Mike on in a couple weeks, and he could tell his version of the story. So I, the phone dies before I even am able to hang up intentionally. And he runs outside, and he comes over. This is like the boonies. So no one's coming outside. Nobody really hears anything. And we gather up my important belongings, which weren't many. And he takes me back to his place where John is sleeping too. And he goes back to the scene. I don't know what's going on. Now the panic has set in. I'm no longer in shock. I'm fully panicked. I'm freaking the fuck out. I'm six months away from being 21. And... I just flipped my car. I know that I'm, this has shaken the intoxication out of me. I am now so shook up. Crazy how adrenaline does it. Yeah. It makes you sober very quickly. But I'm. You get three drinks here. I mean, I, that was the, that was maybe the smallest I ever was. Like maybe like top two, like lightest weight I had ever been. So I was getting drunk off nothing intentionally, obviously not eating and stuff. But so Mike goes, I don't know if he would want me to tell this story, but Mike goes to the police station for me. The cops come when he's back at my car. He tells them that he was driving my car by himself. And he goes to the police station. They question him. He comes back because he's not drunk. So he passes a breathalyzer test. He comes back. He tells me what happened. And I freak the fuck out. We decide that that we'll go to the police station and admit that I was driving and that I had a panic attack and like that I freaked out and I I didn't want to have to talk to anybody. So we did that. We went to the police station and I was just so shame ridden, ridden with shame. And I go to the police station. They hook me up to a lie detector test and they never ask me. Had you been drinking? If I had been drinking. So I didn't lie. So I didn't lie about anything and nothing happened. My insurance didn't go up. What? I didn't get a DUI. I didn't have any physical bruising except for one tiny mark under my, on my collarbone from under the seatbelt. That was it. So I took that as like, holy shit, this is a miracle from God. I'm going to wear my seatbelt going forward and I'm not drinking until I turn 21. And then I'm never going to drink and drive again. And so I did just that. So I stopped drinking until I turned 21. I was the designated driver via smoking weed for the next six months. And the reason that I started this story was because it was two months later that I realized that Matthew was extremely addicted to many, many things. And so the guilt of my own of like, look at who the fuck am I to say you have a problem when I just flipped my car out of sheer stupidity and idiocy and infancy and just immaturity, pride. How dare you kick me out of my boyfriend's dorm room? How dare you tell me I have to leave? I'll show you, you know, like just pride. And, and so it was, that was really hard for me to stand up to Matt and say, you have a problem. And that's why when he refused because he refused. So yeah. we tried to have the intervention. Yeah, he refused to come over. Me, like, it was me, you and Kelly. I think, really. I think like Novacek or somebody gave him a heads up what was up. Yeah, so <laughs> so like the five of somebody, us had somebody, been... Somebody leaked that like, the beans. Hey, like, they're going to try to talk to you. 
<laughs> yeah. And so when he called me out on it, because he called me, I was like, just come over. We're just going to like smoke a blonde, hang out. <laughs> and he calls me and is like, fuck you guys. I know what you want to do. This isn't, I don't have a problem. And fuck you guys, basically. You know, I had to really face that for me is like, am I, and it, I didn't, it didn't really occur to me for years later, but am I just trying to help you because I'm fucked up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I realized and that's, that that's, that's, you know? that's only why you can sympathize with it, though. Think about someone who's never done drugs and they see some news about a heroin. Like whenever you go, like if you go on Facebook and you see like some post about Narcan or something like that, you read these posts with people who will be like, why don't you just fucking let these people die? That's because they can't put themselves in their shoes, those people's shoes for a second. So it's only because you were fucking up your life and you see Matt fucking up his life that you want to help because you're sympathizing. I mean, you're working on yourself, but simultaneously you're like, hey, I kind of get it. I've made some serious mistakes, but you also, right after the mistake, decided you weren't going to drink. You decided to make life changes, and you're just trying to give that to somebody else. Like, hey. Right. Which is totally like, that's, I mean, that's in a nutshell what's going on here yeah. with the podcast and with the Instagram and everything. I mean, I, it's not that I ever was like, Matt, you're a fucking retard, and I am all that is holy. Yeah, yeah. It was like, Matt, I love you and I see what you're doing to yourself and to others around you. And people don't want to be around you when you're a taker. Yeah. You all you're doing is is yeah. taking. And that that actual like so we went to the diner, me and you and Kelly went to the diner to talk about it. That's right. And that is probably the night that I actually started like liking you. <laughs> <laughs> 17 years into knowing yeah, yeah, each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was, you just like, we're talking about how you want to have children and stuff like that. And you want there to be an uncle Matt and you started getting emotional. And for me, you had always been someone who like, like I said, it was cult of personality where I felt like you were playing this character and everybody really liked this character. So not to not see that character is what made me like you. So like, which is, I think what I'm stepping into now yeah, as an adult yeah. and you know, I, you weren't intentionally trying to expose yourself to me, but you right. were so overwhelmed with emotion that right. like, I saw who you were and I was like, Oh, you're like a normal good person. And, <laughs> <laughs> and people like you for a reason. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I had a very, uh, what's the word? Like, uh, I, I guess a shallow viewpoint of you and then like actually getting to see you in three dimensions, four dimensions, whatever, how many dimensions you wanted to see me, how you wanted to see me. And you wanted to, you, you've always been, been an agitator you've always wanted to see things differently you didn't want to see the mainstream version of things no. you wanted to see the back end. i get i get nervous when too many people agree yeah so, so like i get like, that yeah so like, like i'm like oh, there's too many good reviews coming in like i always used to say i always say to people like you ever meet somebody who doesn't have any enemies you gotta be like mm, there's something wrong here this right. person is dangerous nobody <laughs> is liked by that many yeah. people last night i was talking to michelle about it was like a Freudian slip i was saying like I'm a polarizing figure of people, and I, this is the Freudian slip. I went, people either hate me or dislike me. And she's like, what? And I'm like, wait. Uh. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I was like, because of how I am, I'm very, like, interrogative. I'm very instigating when I meet people. I try to push buttons right away. I like to see what I can get away with. You know, like, it's a it's a game for me when I meet somebody. I want to, I want to push a button and be like, what does this button make you do? Are you a fun person to be around? Like, Well, and I think, I mean, we said that. I was saying this to you last night. I mean, that's the same thing fifth graders do. That's the same thing two-year-olds do. It's the same thing all of us do. We all want to 
push the boundaries to see what is it that we can get away with. And not quite to that degree. I think you do it differently than many people and differently than two-year-olds and fifth graders. But we develop that ability as children where we're like, how much can I get away with? What is this person going to allow me to do? And that's why, I mean, a big part of my message is you have to express yourself and you have to set boundaries because otherwise people will walk all over you. And that's not to say that people aren't still going to try and walk all over you, but they're pushing their boundaries. The people who are takers are pushing their boundaries and the people who are instigators are pushing their boundaries. And as we interact with the world, you're always... I mean, we're always only thinking about ourselves. There's maybe two people in your whole life that really, really matter to you. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, like, I care about tons of people. But at the end of the day, like, my parents, you know, if I have a boyfriend, like, at any given moment, like, that's who I care about. That's the number one. And that's it. Like, my immediate family and, like, my immediate circle. But outside of that... You're doing things for you to stay alive and to survive and to hopefully thrive, but not everybody. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but it's like the layer of needs. So you get like you get your oxygen. So now you have oxygen. You're like, oh, I need to put water in my body. And like it climbs right. up from there. Yeah. So like then it becomes self-care. And then once you've cared for yourself, then you can spread out to the wider world and help other people. Right. So I forget, uh, you know, I wish I was an encyclopedia and I could just cite who I'm, who I'm ripping off this great premise from. But basically you have a layer of needs and once those needs are met, so air, water, food, uh, shelter. Mm-hmm. And then once you have shelter, then like, okay, maybe I'll get some fancy things for myself. Maybe I'll work on getting stronger. Maybe I'll work on getting smarter. And then once you start attaining those things, then you right. start spreading out to other people. Right. So, and I think like what you're talking about, like, I, I do think we're very self-centered. Obviously we only know ourselves. Right. And, and but I think it, I, why so many people are selfish in our society or why we come off as selfish is because we haven't mastered that self-care yet. And totally. Then, and then so it becomes all of our angst towards ourselves is spread out towards everyone else. Yeah. I mean, we're projecting. We're not happy with the way that things are. And so we're projecting like you should do this or you should do that because – I know internally that I should do that. Or maybe I don't know. And this yeah. is subconscious. And I think for most people, you don't know. And and, and so you don't realize you're projecting. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit just sure. because you just said about, you know, being selfish and we're not focusing on self-care. And that's something that I'm struggling with right now. I've talked to you about recently. And also I think is something that I very much respect about you, you know, with your martial arts and with wrestling and just like throughout life, I have seen you transform into this very disciplined figure in different seasons. Obviously we all go through seasons and there are times where you're overweight and not doing anything. And I'm saying you (laughs) as in all of us, Yeah, yeah. but then there's other times where like you're on your shit and you're very ritualistic and you're very disciplined. And that's something that I really have acknowledged in the last year, how important it is for me to have a morning routine and a ritual and discipline and not discipline so that I can't step out of line, but discipline so that I I know that if I do what makes me feel good and healthy five out of the seven days of the week, that on the days that I choose to make decisions that aren't healthy or aren't good for me, I don't have guilt about them. And that's what it's about. It's not about the regimented weight loss or the exercise or the healthy eating or the water intake or whatever it is. That's not what it's about. It's about I feel good. And I don't have guilt about doing things that are outside of those disciplinary things. So I just want to talk about like, kind of like your, like what works for you for self-care? Because I think that that's something that we don't really talk about for men so much. 
Uh, I mean, exercise is number one. My thoughts are most clear when I'm exercising regularly. Last year, about this time of year, I was probably in the best shape I've ever been in my life. I was working out 5 a.m. in the morning, running and doing like plate exercises on my lunch break, and then working out doing, when I say working out, I mean doing jujitsu, right. doing that at night. And I would drop down to like, a, like a, a strong 180 pounds. And when I'm doing that, I have such clarity of thought. And it's just so much easier to like see things when I'm eating wrong, when I'm drinking a lot, right. you know, these things distort my perception. They, I make excuse, I make a lot more excuses when I'm drinking. Like, yeah, totally. Like recently, I, I, I try to keep my drinking to one day a week. Like, hey, this is my cheat day. I'm going to have some, some drinks. Right. And lately, I've been sneaking it into two days. And now I'm noticing, hey, I'm skipping my morning workout on Saturday right. because I decided to drink on Friday night. Classic summer livelihood. Yeah. yeah and, and, I, and I start making more and more excuses to justify the behavior. And right. Like, so exercise has always been a way, especially with alcohol and the temptations of drugs and stuff like that. Exercise is the easiest way because I can't do exercise if I'm hungover, if I'm, I mean, you can, but it's, it's terrible. You're not getting, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you're not getting the same benefit. I think for me, like I know that if I go out drinking, I learned this in Ocean City, Maryland. I was living at the beach and I was also training for my army best warrior competition at the end of the summer. And so I was like, this is a perfect storm for me to stay super fit. I'm at the beach, so I want to stay super fit anyway, because look at all these hot humans around me in bathing suits all the time with their tanned golden bodies. Not vain at all. And so I wanted to like stay super fit. But I also was like actively training for this thing. So I would go out, drink, blackout, and wake up in the morning before I needed to bike ride to work down the street to work at Secrets in Ocean City, Maryland. And I would go for a mile run in the morning or a two mile run, all kinds of hungover. And so I was like 23 or 24 that summer, 20, I was 24 that summer. And so I learned that my hangovers are nowhere near as bad if I do a workout, but I'm never moving forward. I'm just maintaining. Exactly. So the the incentive is there for me, you know, to stay disciplined, but I'm not seeing any results. I got second place on the best warrior competition, by the way, just wanted to throw that in there. I was the only female competitor and I was 24 and all of the guys that I competed against were 18 to 20. I was the only 24 year old and I was the only guy. And you were blacking out the entire time. And I came in second place. No, I didn't get drunk that week. Uh, well, I'm saying <laughs> the training, actually, the training. No, I training. had actually stopped drinking for about a month or two before that with the exception of like yeah. two days. That's typically what I try to do with competition. Yeah. I try to try to take a month off. Also, you get super skinny when you stop drinking. I know. And you just feel better. I know. It was so great. Besides, like, the actual physical exercise that comes with doing martial arts, there's, like, another aspect that doesn't come from, like, what I refer to as, like, cosmetic fitness. People who, like, bodybuild and stuff like that. Whereas, like, you're getting in good shape, but to me, it's not practical. It's not practical exercise. It's just not stuff you can use in your everyday life. I'm not going to have to push 400 pounds off my chest on a daily basis. Right, which is my same gripe with CrossFit, I think, because you're it, even if they are functional exercises, when are you really going to need your AMRAP? When are you really going to need like that full capacity? Like not so often, but okay, continue. Yeah, Go ahead. and a yeah. lot of people even say to me like, well, you're not in a fight every day either. And it's like, no, but because I know how to have I know how to fight. I can avoid physical altercation. And I right. feel like it's something that a lot of people don't talk about, but 
I feel like there's a lot of adults out there who are very afraid of hostile physical altercation situations. And I feel like sometimes that you let other people overpower you in a social setting because of the fear of some kind of altercation. Yeah, maybe. I mean, and that speaks, I think, to just confidence in general, which is something that I definitely want to talk about today with you or maybe on the next episode with you. But I think that that is a lot to do with the general fear, uh, really exactly what you're saying, the fear of not knowing how to be in a fight, how to be in an altercation or take it down a notch, how to assert yourself in a social interaction, how to assert yourself verbally, people just kind of cower to that. And there's nothing really wrong with that, except for that you're letting people walk all over you and you're not expressing yourself fully. Like we, I would like to help encourage people to be able to just speak more fully, express themselves more fully so that we don't have to be in fear of physical altercation. But to your point, Oh, sorry. Wow, thank you. Um, (laughs) But to your point, like, I think just knowing how to fight, I mean, my knowledge of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu comes from the two week combatives class that I took through the army. Which is crazy to me that like you're in the military and they're like, here's hand to hand fighting two weeks. Uh, now in you, in now basic you, training, it was like and, six days. And now, and now I took additional. To, I took an additional course for that two weeks. I had to beg to get into that additional course. Overseas, they weren't sending people through left and right. It was like you had to beg to get there, and then you had to be like approved to miss your duty for whatever two weeks or whatever it was. So yeah, it's the army is not what you think, you guys. Like it, it's great, and I loved it. I loved every second of it. When but, I first started training, I loved when the marines come in and stuff like that you know like yeah. they, they don't get that like yeah you did this for a couple of weeks I've been doing this for a couple of years now. right right <laughs> well I mean I think that was a really illuminating moment for me was being in that combatives class actually in uh in 2014 I took it at Fort Dix in New Jersey and it was the first time since basic training and like really since I had an understanding of rank that we all ripped off our Velcro ranks on our jerseys and we were all the same. And that was the first time in, I joined in 2011. So that was the first time in two or three years that I had experienced, we are all the same. We are all starting at zero. And some people had had more training than me up to that point, but it had been the same thing two years ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. So it was in there somewhere, but it was gone. And so when you're on the mat and when you're in these situations, we are all the same. And like, that was my favorite thing about martial arts was like, if you are better, it's because you worked your ass off to be better. There's no luck here. And so I think that it's, I think that that's really my perspective on human communication is that like, I mean, some people are naturally better at it, but you have to work at it to be better. And so to be able to assert yourself, that takes practice. This shit doesn't come overnight. But okay, so bring it back to wherever you are. I mean, the big thing I always think about, too, is like a a lot, a big dialogue now, especially in our society. We're having a, a big rise in women's rights and stuff like that. I definitely see that. And a lot of things women talk about are a good example. Why I always push martial arts on women is like they're talking about, well, you don't know what it's like to have to put your keys in your hand when I'm walking in the parking garage yeah and like they say that and I, and I and I see their point of view because a bigger larger man is an intimidation factor right but I also think to myself but you don't have to live like this you don't right. have to be afraid you can learn how to defend yourself yeah there's videos on the internet where you can just watch women who knew how to protect themselves like I loved when Ronda Rousey came to prominence in the right. UFC because yeah that was huge it wasn't she wasn't asking for I forget she calls them do nothing bitches 
Yeah. She's like, I, I'm tired of hearing these do nothing bitches talking. <laughs> like, and I just love this idea of like, yeah, I'm a fucking bad bitch. I'll fuck up. Like, I mean, she was, I don't think now looking back, she could have beaten many men, like professional fighting men. Right. Yeah. But she was so good at what she was doing that she had like guys like Joe Rogan and these other commentators contemplating the idea that like, she might be able to beat like a lot of the guys in the bantamweight division. Right. And like, and that's just an energy. Like a lot of fighting is just that too. It's just a presence. Why do you think guys lift weights so much? Totally. So I couldn't agree with you more. And I have a lot of thoughts on this. And one of them is because like, I agree with the do nothing bitches, because I think that it really takes a lot of, it takes a whole lot of self-love to get to a point of empowerment and to get to a point of, I deserve to care for myself. I deserve to be able to deal with every situation. And I think that we are lost there. We are really, really lost there. And that's why I'm really pushing in the earlier episodes about loving yourself and loving your community and lifting each other up because we already fucking hate each other and we already fucking hate ourselves. And we are constantly using self-deprecating humor and sarcasm and things like that, which in the moment, in the joke, it feels like, oh my God, I'm such a fucking idiot. Doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. But when you tell yourself over and over and over again for 15 years, for 20 years, oh my God, I'm such a fucking idiot. Or what I used to do was my dad's going to kill me. And then all of a sudden, I hate my dad 20 years later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? We don't realize the way that we talked about this the other day, too. Words are spells. Words are powerful. Yeah. Words are very powerful. And so it's not that you're a do-nothing bitch. It's that you don't realize that you have, A, the capacity to protect yourself. You can be doing something, You can. Bitch. You have. <laughs> you can be a do-something, bitch. <laughs> you really can. I believe in you. Um, but also that you, it's not that hard. You just have to believe that you're worth it. And so the lesson that I learned, one of my favorite lessons from my deployment, people would always ask me, what was the scariest thing that happened? Or was it scary? Were you afraid? What about walking at night? First of all, it was all a, an American base. So it was an extension of the United States in yeah. Kuwait. That's all it was. So I wasn't surrounded by foreigners other than the foreign nationals that were working on base. And they were all friendly as fuck. And I was not really nervous walking around at night because I learned this lesson. It was keep your head up and move with a purpose. That's it. Keep your head up and move with a purpose. That's it. Because if you keep your head up, this is a Jordan Peterson. I, you know, two years later learned head up, shoulders back, stand up straight. If you keep your head up and you look where you're going and you look like you know where you're going, even if you fucking don't at all, people don't want to bother you. People don't want to bother you. I loved being busy at work and walking around with a clipboard because people don't bother you. You look like you're up to something important. But so moving with a purpose is also really important here because you don't have to know my purpose and I don't have to know my purpose either. I just have to know that I'm going somewhere and it's not standing right here to be fucked with by you guys. So my scariest moments on the deployment were walking at night, but there were not many of them. And those scariest moments were surrounded by American soldiers, not Kuwaiti nationals, not foreigners, not off base, not at, you know, like they were, they were Americans. And so those moments have happened to me in the United States also. But that realization that if I keep my head up and look like I know what I'm doing, even if I have no fucking clue was the most 
the most important lesson that I learned on that deployment. And I have carried that with me. And that is what carried me through Europe last year and this year. I am no longer afraid to do things on my own. Yeah, I'm fucking anxious every time I have to do something on my own for a moment. But I know that I'm going to go into this. I'm going to have a goddamn good attitude. And I'm not going to look like a fucking dead fish floating around with no idea what to do. If I would have been walking around Europe, like, first of all, wasted. Or second of all, like, um, excuse me, I have no idea where I am. Can you please help me, please? Hey, you're it, a mark. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to fucking rob me. You're a mark, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, can I make myself look like any more of a victim? Well, we were talking about, like, with takers and how yeah. takers have targets. Yeah. People, people who are looking to do some kind of, you know, whether whether it's catcalling to actual right. robbery, they're probably really good at reading posture, reading people's, mm-hmm. you know, behaviors. So, like to present yourself like I'm gonna fuck shit up like yeah. like I said I was kind of getting to it right before I was talking about why guys work out right they don't even they don't even know how to fight they just want to look like they can fight and right. you go ah but the 95% of the population goes yeah that guy's big I don't want to deal with that yeah exactly so, like, you just have to have the presence of like you know and you kind of wanted to talk about it we discussed it a little bit about like confidence and courage yeah and totally yeah, and please. that's like a thing I do like People, so many people meet me and they think I'm like a really cocky, cocky person and they don't get that. It's just like, I don't know. I just, one day I decided I'm, you know, like I go home and I go inside myself and I reflect on who I am as a person. I have all the insecurities of everyone else, but right. when I'm out in public, I'm going to carry myself. Like I say things as though I know them for certain when I don't, right. like people, people get annoyed by that, but I'm like, I'm not afraid to look stupid. Right. So like I'll say things with confidence and hopefully people listen. They don't. It's either because I have the wrong information or I'm not presenting it the right way. Right. So why, why not go into the world trying to present things, my ideas, as though they are worthy? Why, why short sell myself before I even get there? Yeah, I mean, and that was that was like a really powerful moment for me with starting this podcast is like, I have opinions that nobody else has. That's my superpower. Other people sure will agree with me on certain things. Majority of my opinions are a culmination of things I've read and heard and seen. They're not, obviously no idea is totally mine. It came as a result of lots of things that happened in my life. Lots of experiences. Inspiration. Inspiration. God's God's whispering in your ear. Yeah, exactly. You know that's what that word means, right? That's where the word inspiration comes from. Oh, I love that. Yeah. The Latin version of the word means like God's whisper. So. Beautiful and, poetry. And, yeah, and it's not, you know, I don't believe in God. I'm not a religious man, but like it's, you hear things and like you like, you'll pass it up and not even think about it and yeah. just be in there. And then all of a sudden you have that aha moment. Yeah, yeah. that epiphany. Yeah. Totally. But yeah, I just, I lost it a little bit. Where were we? I don't know. Man, how many times are we going to do this? And I'm pretty sure inspiration was not the word. I think it was epiphany, was the word is that God whisper. Jamie, look it up. Should we, Jamie, should we leave it? it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to just leave it. Just leave it. <laughs> Just run. Look at them go. Being human. He was trying to be so so cocky, and then he misquoted the word he was looking for. Well, yeah. So, but that's what I said. Like, I'm not afraid to look stupid. Like, what's the worst case scenario? Like, oh yeah. So that that actually brings me back. So look at that. We brought it back around, like a real conversation. How about that? Hey, (laughs) this is just regular people having a conversation um, about looking stupid. So keeping my head up and moving with a purpose was really important, and I had to use that throughout my travels and throughout life. However, I never was too good to ask questions. I never was too embarrassed to say, "Hey, I need help." but I did it with a confidence about me. So if I got off the subway in Spain in a language that I don't, in a country that I don't speak the language, which happened with a giant fucking 50 pound backpack on my back, which happened, I'm sweating to fucking death because it's 
75 degrees and I have a 50 fucking pound backpack on me. That happened? That happened. And I've been, you know, I'm like in the, I'm on the trains and I'm in the subway and all this shit. And I don't know where the fuck I'm going. And so I have to have the ability to say, Hey, excuse me. I'm looking for this hotel, this hostel. This is the address. I'm looking at my phone, by the way, as I say this, not actually my phone. We have to put our phones away. Imaginary phone. phone. But like, I'm showing him looking at my phone. So like, I have to be able to say, Hey, do you know where this street is? And if you don't, it's fine. Or excuse me, do you speak English? And that takes a step of courage and ability. So I was walking around with no internet for a majority of my trip last year. And so I wasn't able to just Google maps when I got off the subway, I needed to fucking figure that shit out. And if I'm going to walk around confidently with my 50 pound backpack, like an asshole without asking anybody for help, then I am going to be tired in a mile and I'm not going to look confident anymore. I'm going to look fucking tired and I'm going to look like a victim. So you have to have confidence, but also not be afraid to look stupid and also not be afraid to admit that I don't know everything and you can help me. Please teach me before when we were starting this before John has not used audacity in many, many years, but used to use audacity. And I was like, Hey, I don't know how to do this thing with the recording. And he showed me how to do it. And I'm like, Oh, this is so exciting. We're learning. (laughs) And I talk about that in one of the episodes, like that we're on this learning journey together. And I think that people are just consumed with that. We being confident means that, you know, everything. And that's not what it means. That's not not what it means at all. all. Not even close. It's, it's like I said, I think it's more of a sales pitch, like having, having the confidence. It's just like, Hey, I have an idea. I'm going to make this idea seem like a really, really good idea. And I'm not going to let anybody else know that I have all kinds of secret doubts about it. And like, I think people mistake that for me thinking that like my shit doesn't stink, but it's like, no, I just know that like, I want people to hear what I have to say. So why am I going to, why am I going to like stab myself in the back and come out like, well, I, I don't know if this is a good idea, but you know, like, why yeah. am I, why am I going to open Classic. my, yeah, I'm going to open my idea with, I don't know if this is a good idea. I know. I, I see that at work all the time. You're, you've like, already invited everybody to doubt your yeah. idea right off the bat. You guys are going to think this is stupid, but like we, we do that. These like disclaimers, like you're probably not going to like this. Why do we do that? Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Well, because we, we've learned that peppering in uh, uh, deprecation, self-deprecation, does lighten people's yeah it makes you it humanizes humanizes you you, exactly but at the same time you have to know when to use it and when not to use it if you're using it when you're trying to present something i feel like you're using it at the wrong time yeah you you need to be able to and i say you need like so easily like fix this guys fix it you need to do it right now fix it immediately i know you've been working on this for 20 years (laughs) fix your life right now it's just, it's not that simple, but it's yeah. like thinking about it and hearing it and acknowledging it in yourself as like, when I am self-deprecating, when I emit this notion of self-doubt, then you have doubt in my abilities too. And yeah, if you say you're probably not going to like this idea or this isn't a great idea, but you're, first of all, you're protecting yourself because you're like, if they don't like this idea, it's because it's a stupid idea and I shouldn't have said it anyway. What does that do? That teaches you to not say your ideas. And that teaches you that you're right. People do think I'm stupid. You know what I mean? Like you just, you can't present yourself that way. You just can't. (laughs) You can't do it. You're affirming what you already think about yourself through through the way that you present yourself. Vicious cycle. Yeah. Yep. And then you present yourself as unsure, unsure and, and not confident. And then people go, yeah, she doesn't really have much or he doesn't really have much. And then it confirms what you already thought about yourself. And then people treat you the way you, you know, it's a vicious cycle. All right.
All right. So the last thing that I want to talk about, because we're already coming up on an hour, I can't believe it, is social media. Because you are very active on social media. You're very active on the internet. You have used a million times when we have not talked in several weeks, months, years, you send me a clip, something that you think that I would like. And that's kind of your like reach, like your reach out. And I always really appreciate that because they're very thought provoking. When you used to do it very frequently, you know that I wouldn't actually watch them ever. I'm well aware. Most people don't. Yeah, perfect. As long as you know. But now that you do it very, very infrequently, I really appreciate it because it is, it's something very thought provoking. Many times it has inspired me to post something on on my Instagram or whatever. And it, it makes me think about things. So I really love that. I think you and I have a very similar view, which I really didn't a few years ago. And I remember you talking to me about it, about like the power of social media and the power of the internet and the way that people are not doing it right. So I just want you to really quick talk about like your first Instagram, Profit Over Profit, and then where you're at now. And just kind of like what the benefits can be. And I want to keep this like five minutes-ish. Um, <laughs> So my first Instagram account was literally just me throwing up on a page, giving everybody like every angle of my personality. And which is my Instagram now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and there's 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 a benefit to that. There's people get to really know you as a person. Right. But at the same time, you're not putting yourself in a bucket on social media. So like here's the issue is like there's now, no brand. Now I have Potts BJJ. Right. It's like all focused towards martial arts. And it's a lot easier to gain traction of followers and stuff like that because I'm focusing With on that one. interest with one thing right you know all of a sudden I'm, I'm posting something about politics and then the next one's a fart joke or something <laughs> about brazilian jiu-jitsu you're not going to find everybody agrees with you on things or your sense of humor and right. so it's so when you don't put yourself in a bucket it's harder to gain traction on social media yeah so like your actual friends and like people <clears throat> who actually know you or love you or care about you will be like ah, ha, ha, classic Pots. john yeah, with the yeah. pot with the fart jokes yeah. but people who you're trying to cultivate a following yeah. with aren't interested they, they, in that and, and also i think you know we were talking about this earlier not to think hard about what other people think but I also think it just simplifies it for your audience to be one dimensional sometimes on social media. And not that that's you. Yeah. There's some people do where they have multiple accounts. Like this account is for talking about fitness. This one is for my friends and family. So people do use multiple right. accounts. Yeah. And if you're trying to run a business, I think if you're trying to run your social media website like a business, you should definitely focus on one thing. Right. But if you're trying to be authentic and be yourself, it's best just to post whatever like comes to mind. Yeah. So, so I like, I couldn't agree with that more. So if like, if you're running a, a business social media account, you want to stay within those means, but you also do, I think, want to humanize yourself a little bit, which I think you do really well on your account. So it's like focused, but also you see little bits of you to yeah. know that it's a human running the account. It's not, it's not a business. It's not a million people running the account. It's just one person and he's multifaceted. But what I really want to get on about this is the way, and we won't get too into it again because yeah. I just want to keep it short there's so much negativity on social media and people just like proliferate that and we've talked about in the past the way that social media and the internet can be used for good and not just the way that people see it which is I'm only seeing negative shit I compare myself to everybody and it's like yeah well things are gonna be negative if you're fucking negative about it what are your thoughts on this uh, I mean it's tough because a it dehumanizes us we lose tone of voice when we're typing so right even when you post a picture which has a little more detail and a little more for you to read people still all the nuance of like 
person-to-person conversation. Like, it's clear people say things on the internet they would never say to your face. Right. And, like, that is the... Keyboard warriors or something. Yeah, keyboard warriors is what you call them. And I don't know if there's a solution to it besides, like, I think as the technology grows, a maturity in our population will come. Like, I probably think the kids after us will be so much more mature on social media. Right, maybe. I mean, this is still so new. We're in the infancy of this. Yeah, so I I don't know. I, I honestly wouldn't know how to cure the situation. I guess putting out positivity out there but i don't know i'm a big fan of just having like all these like i even i love when someone's super negative on something and then i know like you're on this positivity damn thing. it pot you're not supposed <laughs> to say that but, here. No, I, I enjoy it i enjoy it. and i enjoy like because what am you know like how i use facebook is facebook for me is like a little bit of like an arguing Oh God, you just instigate <clears throat> constantly on Facebook, yeah, yeah. but it's very interesting stuff and it's on very controversial topics. So even if you, even if you totally disagree with, with yeah. what you're saying, you at least are thinking about it. You're exposing people to things that they weren't thinking about. So that's very different. The way that you're using your face as a tool from the way that people are using their Instagram and just following people that are couple goals or body goals or food goals, house goals. If you're only, this is really where I was trying to go with this. I'm trying to not guide the conversation. I'm trying to let it naturally flow. But this is where I'm trying to go with it. I'm trying to say that like, if you're just using the internet for comparison sakes, rather than what you're doing, which is instigating thoughtful conversation. I don't even care when people post pictures of their house and stuff like that. They put pictures of their kids. I like it. Like, shout out to John Cerrone. Him and his wife always post beautiful pictures of their children. I'm like, this is so cute. Oh, it's so goddamn (laughs) wholesome. Yeah. I'm mostly on social media looking looking for someone I disagree with so I can so I can bait them into a conversation. Right, troll them a little bit. Well, it's, it's trolling, but it's also to me it's also learning. You know, yeah. like cuz th- there's the you know off chance that they're going to give me a take I've never heard before and then this gives me a new wrinkle to my game like okay, I got to prepare for this argument that I've never seen before now right. because I wasn't prepared for this and now I didn't have an answer back for this. Yeah. So I either need to find a counter argument that's better than their argument or I have to accept the fact that I'm wrong. So typically we'll spend a lot of time on point A where yeah. I'm really trying to find a better argument right. and then reluctantly weeks later, months later, probably subconsciously I finally just admit to myself that they had a better point of view. It's possible that someone else knows more about said subject. <laughs> yeah. Me, yeah. Right, exactly. Also, I think that, like, we were talking about the hostility. I was just, like, bringing back to them that. Yeah. Um, it's also, like, I'm very sarcastic, and I say very sarcastic things. And I can be serious and sarcastic. And when you're in person, I can change my tone of voice. So, right. like, you can know when I'm playing the sarcastic game and when I'm playing the serious game. I was just recently in a silly Facebook debate with somebody, and I said, you ain't shit, like, sarcastically, like, Right. They commented, I don't know, like, trying to be playful. And in real life, it would be like, you ain't shit. Yeah. And then it's a joke. That, it's obviously a joke, yeah, but you lose the tone. Yeah, and she, like, read it as, like, you know, and she wrote some cut cursing at me. <laughs> like, and you're like, God, you're really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm just trying to, like, be playful. Right. And, and it's not, you yeah, know, there's no way. The yeah. message isn't being delivered properly. So totally. I think, I think that's where a lot of the hostility comes from, is mis- misunderstanding one another, miscommunication. Yeah. And that's why, like, communication is so important. Um, I don't really know where I was trying to go with that. So we'll just end it here. Yeah, we'll just call it. Cool. Thanks, man. This was fun. I'm really (laughs) glad we did this. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. See you next time. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. And I hope that you are beginning to see that I'm beginning to have a lot more fun with these recordings. I forgot to give my buddy John Potts an opportunity to give himself a plug. So don't forget to follow him on social media at PottsBJJ. That's P-O-T-T-S-B-J-J. If you have not yet rated and reviewed my podcast, I would so greatly appreciate it. I love you guys so much. Thank you for showing up each week and I will see you next time. Thank you.
Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find me on Instagram at Liz Without a Pillow. If you loved what you listened to or know somebody that would, please share it. Screenshot the episode in the podcast app, share it to your Instagram story, and tag me. If you'd like to lend your personal support, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be so grateful. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. See you then.